In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the tenth Sunday after Pentecost, and we're continuing in Luke's Gospel in uh, chapter 12. And chapter 12 is um, a very kind of fast-moving chapter. Jesus seems to be moving from, from topic to topic, and we seem to be getting these, these small little bits. But as we step back, we see uh, that he's engaging in a much larger dialogue with the Pharisees and those who had been challenging him. A great crowd is gathered, and the Pharisees have really tried to press him. And so uh, Jesus is in many different ways uh, addressing those that are challenging him and his teaching, uh, challenging uh, who Jesus is, because that's at the center of his teaching, and it's the center of the gospel, who is Jesus. And Jesus is saying that to understand who he is, to identify him, is to have the key to discernment. And discernment is so important for all of us, isn't it? The ability to be able to uh, make right decision, to be able to understand what's true and what's false, and to be able to act on that uh, discernment is so important for us. And so as we uh, think about discernment and we think about that ability to be able to tell uh, right from wrong, especially when uh, we're in the minority, especially when there might be a great crowd around us pressing us to do something against our conscience, it's very important for us to look at the prophet Jeremiah. Because the prophet Jeremiah is in exactly that position. You remember that uh, Jeremiah is living at the time of the Babylonian exile. He's living at the time that Babylon comes and surrounds Jerusalem. So he is, um, he is there at the siege of Jerusalem. He's in the city itself. And he is um, telling them that this is the hand of the Lord, that the hand of the Lord is going to give the city over to Babylon. And of course, the king and his advisors are saying, well, he's a traitor. He's uh, not wanting us to stand uh, firm and to stand up against uh, this foreign power and uh, the security and the sovereignty of Jerusalem and Judah's everything. And to give that up would be to abandon uh, hope. And uh, there are many prophets that come out and support the king in this and support the king in continuing to battle. And Jeremiah seems alone as a prophet to say, no, this is the hand of God. He's going to discipline us because of our um, unrighteousness, because of our following Baal and following false prophets. And the Lord has lifted his hand of protection. And the sooner that we recognize that and make peace with Babylon, the easier things uh, will be. The Lord will discipline us and bring us back into right relationship with him. And uh, it seems like it's Jeremiah against the world. You know, he's thrown in prison. You remember that he's thrown into that uh, well, uh, that dry well. Uh, he's just a, a fascinating and wonderful uh, example of what it means to stand up against prevailing wisdom. And that seems to be what uh, the Lord is saying here in Jeremiah 23, is um, how to discern despite what those around us might say. And the first thing that the Lord says is uh, that he is both uh, what we call imminent and transcendent. Those are the theological words that we use uh, to describe what uh, he says here very simply, which is a God at hand and a God far away. Those are two very important ways of thinking about God. Some people say uh, the Lord is only at hand, right? And they try to make him a personal God, right? He, he is personally telling me something. He's given me some, some personal wisdom. I've had a dream or I've had a word from the Lord. It becomes this very personal kind of, um, of authority that the person has, right? 
Then we have this understanding of a God far away, of, of what we call a transcendent God, right? A God that's holy, uh, a God that is um, completely other, a God that's distant. And uh, he is uh, for us that, that truth that we can all see and discern, right? And a God that we can't run away from, a God that uh, we can't say, oh, we'll go over this hill and we'll be able to run away from him like many of the other ancient prophets tried to do, right? And so the Lord is saying, I'm both. I'm both at hand and I'm far away, which means you can't run away from me and I'm not dependent upon giving a dream or some special message to one person. I'm telling everybody the same thing all the time and you're going to be discerning this as a group, that there is objective truth. Uh, there is the word of God that we can all perceive if we are willing to be obedient and we're willing to uh, allow the Lord to discipline us. So he says, uh, you cannot uh, hide from me. You cannot hide to a secret place. He says, I fill all of heaven and earth. And then he says, uh, do not listen to those um, prophets that are talking about their own particular dreams and their own particular experience. He says, um, I am giving a word, my word, for my people. And that starts with the name of God. It starts with understanding and proclaiming who God is. So the beginning of discernment here in Jeremiah is to worship the Lord. To understand who He is. To say that He is everywhere. To say that He is completely holy. To say that He is completely just. To say that His name only should be glorified. And so it's in the worship of the Lord. It's in declaring the Lord to be holy. It's in raising Him up that we're able then to begin this process of discernment. The process of discernment starts with the name of the Lord and the right worship of Him. And then the Lord says, uh, there is going to be uh, evidence of my word. So you're going to be able to see it worked out. Those things that are destroyed and those things that are burned away will be burned away by my word. Right? He says his word is like fire. And it's going to destroy the straw. And of course, the straw and wheat comparison gets used many times through Scripture, right? The straw is that which gets burned away, right? It gets sifted, right? With the winnowing fork as the wheat is thrown up into the air and the straw and the chaff get blown away. And then the, the kernel of wheat rests heavy upon the ground. It's that separation that the Lord does. Uh, it is according to His Word. It's according to His name. And to the reminder that he is holy, that that division takes place. And more and more, we see that as people stop proclaiming the name of God, stop declaring his truth, stop worshiping his truth and looking for that truth, that everyone can see that we start to see that drifting and that destruction that God's word will finally bring. And he says that it's like a hammer that breaks the rock. So there is this um, introduced in Jeremiah, this destructive element of God's word. And we know that, that that destruction is so important. We know it in our own lives. We know it um, in everything that we do, that there has to be a test. There are things that are pure and there are things that are not. There are things that are dirty. We have to, to be able to wash away. We have to be able to refine uh, whether it's gold or whether it's silver and precious metals or uh, whether it's our own life experience, right? We know that those habits those um, uh, 
ways of living our life that stand up, uh, that are able to endure hardship or those good things, and that those things that, that don't bring us uh, the knowledge of God, that um, seem to, to bring instability or the things that are going to be washed away. So we're given this understanding in Jeremiah, number one, that the first way that we have to discern uh, right from wrong, good from evil, is by focusing upon the Lord and worshiping him and understanding that we're not going to be listening to one individual prophet or person based on their dream or experience, but that we all, as the people of God, um, are going to be able to look, we're able to perceive God's holiness and God's work in the world, and we're able to uh, come together and identify that which is lasting and that which is true. And of course, this is what Jesus is saying when he says that he comes to bring fire. Not a very popular verse. You don't see this on a lot of t-shirts or bumper stickers, as we like to point out in Bible study, right? Uh, the kids and I would like to start a uh, t-shirt uh, making a company that would put some of these less popular verses on, right? I came to bring fire on the earth, he says, right? And of course, we know that that fire is the Holy Spirit. That fire is the, the Spirit of God that comes forth on Pentecost, and that fire is, again, it's a purifying fire. It's a fire that uh, would break down and would wash away those parts of our lives, those parts of the way that we think and feel that are not of God, right? That are our own creation, our own thinking. He would burn those away, and then he would relieve uh, leave what is pure and what is true. And then he says that he has a baptism to be baptized with. What is that? Uh, he has um, talked about all the way through the gospel, his death as a baptism. And of course, our washing with water is uh, a way of talking about uh, Jesus' death. Whether it's his descent into the womb of the virgin, or his descent into the waters of the Jordan, or his descent into hell at the crucifixion, they are all descents from which he rises up holy and good and brings a washing, a cleansing to the world. So we raise up with him out of death. We raise up with him out of the waters of baptism. But it requires us to lay down our lives to submit ourselves to God and to be willing to, to die and to let those things that are our, um, our individual ideas to, to be washed away and to come into uh, the knowledge and saving grace of our Lord God. And he says that this is going to divide. And I don't know how much I really need to say about this. Because I think we've all, if we've spent any time as Christians, we've experienced it. If we're going to stand up and we're going to say there is objective truth, God is truth, he's given us a right way to live, we will come at odds with the people around us, and we won't have to go far. That's all really we need to say. <clears throat> God is holy, he's just, he will discipline us, and the only way to live a righteous and holy life is in relationship with him. Just say that. And it's unlikely that you're going to find a dinner table of any family that isn't going to rise up in argument about that. But it's fairly straightforward as far as we're concerned, right? And that's why we're gathered here around this family table. That's what brings us to this family table. We're about to have family supper. 
and we're not having families suffer because uh, we have the same um, DNA, because we have the same eyes, because we have the same color skin, because we speak the same language. That's not what brings us together as a family. What brings us together as a family is our recognition that God is holy and that he is just and that all goodness and life comes through him. That's what unites us as a family. And we could talk about the wickedness of that division, but it's really boring. Lust is boring. Greed is boring. Pride is boring. There's nothing interesting about it. There's nothing good in it. There's nothing redeeming. There's nothing that lasts. It's destructive. It's corrosive. It is uh, burned away. It's dross. But his uniting us reveals division. And then he says, we need to recognize it. We need to recognize it. And he's kind of making two points about our need to recognize or to discern this truth. Uh, the first one is that it is discernible, you know, that we can tell uh, where the Lord is. We can discern his truth um, and his righteousness, right? Uh, that's, the, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that um, it, it's not going to come the way um, that some people uh, think that it's going to come. But it's going to come uh, by recognizing who God is. Again, it's recognizing who Jesus is. He says, uh, you don't know how in the very last verse of uh, Luke 12, verse 56, he says, um, why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And when he says the present time, he's talking about himself. He's talking about his appearance. He's saying, you're not recognizing that I'm God. And to recognize that I'm God is the beginning of all discernment. So when we recognize who Jesus is, then we're able to recognize what his baptism is. When we're able to recognize the sacrifice, the self-sacrifice of his baptism, we'll recognize that it happens out of love. And then we'll be able to perceive and receive the Holy Spirit, this fire. Because when we recognize that God has died for us out of love and that he's calling us to die for our friends out of love, and we desire that love and we look for it, our hearts are broken and now open for the Holy Spirit. See, if we don't think that we need that love, if we don't think that we need that saving, if we don't think that we, we need to rely upon the Lord and rest in him, that our hearts will be hard and we will not receive the Holy Spirit. So recognizing him is to recognize his baptism and our need for him and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, when we recognize his love, when we come to experience God's love for us, when, we be able, when we're able to feel his presence, then what's created in us is a desire, a hunger. When we have a desire and a hunger for God and for his love, then we have what we need to strive for peace. And again, the peace that we have is not with one another by ignoring the facts. But it's the peace that's established when we all recognize who God is and we all proclaim his love. 
when we are united in his love and in his truth, then we have peace here in our hearts and in our homes. But peace comes by uniting in our striving for peace with everyone. I want to start there because sometimes we get a little off track and we think, uh, oh, uh, you know, the people in my family or the people at my work or whatever it is, we're having difficulties, we're having troubles because I'm a Christian and they're not. Maybe. Maybe. But there's so much other little stuff that gets in the way. We want to make really sure that it's the Lord. That it's not a politician or a political party or an ethnicity or a way of living, that it's the Lord. If it's the Lord that's dividing us, then his peace we will find. But if it's something else and we're using the Lord as an excuse, big trouble. And we'll find that out if we're striving for peace. If we're doing everything we can to make peace with the people at work and with the people in our lives, and with our friends and our neighbors, if we're really hungering and thirsting for that peace, because then we'll say, I'll do anything except for rejecting my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his call for truth and holiness of living. I'll give up anything else to make peace but that. Because he says we will, in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, at the very end of our passage this morning in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we're hungering and thirsting to have peace with everyone while maintaining the peace of God, the holiness of God. So we're constantly focused upon the holiness of God. We're constantly focused upon His will while desiring to have peace with everyone. And you remember that, that the letter to the Hebrews is talking to us, showing us how to live this life of peace, how to strive for peace, um, while using this example of uh, the faithful that have gone before. You'll remember that last week we read a big portion of, of Hebrews chapter 11 and we saw all these examples of uh, the faithful, right? He says, um, you know, uh, Abel was faithful, Enoch was faithful, Abram and Sarah were faithful, right? And he shows how they were faithful, remember? And he talks about how it was that they discerned the will of God and they did it, right? They followed him and they conceived and they, uh, they moved and they made offerings and they did all these things, Right? So we have this great example of the faithful. We have this great example of those who have lived by faith. And then here in, in chapter 12, he says, uh, therefore, so that therefore means we've been given all these examples of what it looks like to live a holy and righteous life. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that cloud of witnesses are all the faithful that have gone before us, right? This whole list of faithful people. Then he says, let us run with endurance. So we've discerned, right? We've discerned that God is holy, that we can't run away from him, that he's not just personal and he's not far away. He's both. That his truth can be known, that we can come into intimate relationship with God, that he would bring his Holy Spirit, that he would show us his will so he can be made known. And then the question is, do we just sit by and do we just allow that to cause disruption in our lives and to allow that to come between us and the people around us? And the letter to the Hebrews is saying, no, that means that we have to strive for peace with everyone. 
We're not just going to sit back apathetically and say, oh, well, that person is lost to me or uh, that, that, that group is lost to me. And to be apathetic, but that we're supposed to be striving and running with endurance. And he uses this beautiful metaphor of the foot race, which I think St. Paul wrote to the letter to the Hebrews, but whether he did or not, the writer to the letter to the Hebrews um, is using this metaphor that Paul has used many times in his other letters, right? And he's using this metaphor of running the race. And, and running the race is such a wonderful metaphor in many different ways. What he's, what he's showing us here is that to run a race well, we have to have discerned the goal. You can't run a race fast if you're not really clear on what the goal is. If you're just thinking, I'm not really sure how I'm going to run the race, I'm not really sure what pace, I'm not really sure what method I'm going to use. And the way that we get that clarity is to know who God is and then to allow him to discipline us. To allow him to discipline us. And he uses this example of how our, our heavenly parents discipline us. And some of us have had a really bad example of that. We've had um, earthly parents who have not been good at discipline. Some of us have had parents who are good at discipline. It's important for us to recognize, right, that whether our earthly parents have been good or bad at it, that discipline is really important. And that receiving the discipline of God is essential to our being able to discern the race that we're running and the method by which we'll run. And really good discipline is to say, here's the goal, and here's how to do it, and you can see that when you ran this way, you got a slow time, and when you ran this way, you got a faster time. That's discipline. So we're going to work on doing more of what got us a good time. It's very striking to me how uh, hard it is to find uh, a really good um, benefit or example of people who are willing or even seeking discipline in their lives. I sat, in fact, this week about, um, about inviting people into our lives um, that would give us discipline, right? So often we invite somebody in and we say, okay, help us with this, and then we argue with the person, right, that's giving us the advice, right? We'll, we'll pay them and say, you know, show me how to get, uh, you know, a six-pack, and then I'll say, well, I'm not sure if that's the right way to do it. I'm not the person to listen to, right? <laughs> I think about two of my favorite examples, uh, Usain Bolt, still the fastest man in the world, and the interviews I've heard with him about his relationship with his coach. I heard him interviewed and he said, well, I couldn't run again because my coach is coaching somebody else. And he told me once I retired, that was it. Now, Usain Bolt's like a, what, 32-year-old multimillionaire, superstar, global phenomenon superstar, the fastest man in the world. And he's listening to his coach. He wouldn't, he wouldn't run without it. Why would that be? Michael Phelps, if you've ever listened to any interviews with him, the winningest Olympian ever, what, 20-some gold medals? And he talks about the relationship with the, that he has with his coach. And his coach, as soon as he gets out of the water, says, okay, he got the gold medal. Forget about that. The next race coming is in 20 minutes. You've got to hydrate. You've got to eat. This is what we're going to do in the next race. Immediately puts him on task for the next race. Again, 30-something-year-old, world-known, multimillionaire, right, who's listening to this coach and submitting in discipline. 
And I put it to you that there is no way for us to have success in the Lord. There's no way for us to, to really strive and to discern without that kind of discipline, without inviting that into our lives, without being willing to submit to one another. And this is really what we're supposed to be doing here. When we receive Holy Communion, we're supposed to be submitting to one another. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. We're supposed to be coaching one another, right? We're supposed to be saying, do the right thing, do the holy thing. Live, live by a godly example. And so we do that. We do that by having clear what the goal is. And he says, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, our faith, and we consider him. Look to Jesus and consider him. In other words, we're not spending a lot of time talking about what we've done wrong or what the wrong way is. That's bad coaching. Good coaching, good discipline is to say, this is how you do it right. Look at how it's done right. Look at what Jesus did for us. Look at how he lived his life. Look at how the saints lived their lives. Look at Abram. Look at Enoch. Look at Sarah. Right? Constantly being reminded of the right way to live. And he quotes here Proverbs and Job. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No, be weary when reproved by him. In other words, we're looking for it. The only way to do that is if we're looking for God's discipline. We're expecting that he's going to write the way that we live. We expect that he's going to turn us towards him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So we know that God loves us when he disciplines us. When he disciplines us. And though it seems painful at the time, he will strengthen us and make straight paths for our feet so that we may be healed and strive for peace. To discern the truth, we have to know who Jesus is. We have to look to him. We have to consider him. We have to be willing to be disciplined and submit to the discipline of the wider body of the church. We have to participate in encouraging one another to strive, to strive for peace, to keep fast our eyes upon the hope that is the resurrection. And when we do that, we will discern him and our minds will become clear and our hearts will become aligned with the clarity and the truth of God and our feet will be firm upon his path.